Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Welcome to church. We hope you've had an enormous amount of fun already. Uh, We absolutely believe that this should be the greatest party that you've been to in your entire life. All right, we're going to go hard in the paint today. That's our ambition, is that you would leave here and go, wow, I had no idea that that was okay at church. And yes, it is. You're not watching golf. You can enjoy yourself. You can laugh. You can make noise. You can shout me down. You can be like, preach. You can say whatever you want to say, okay? And uh, we're going to have a good time. You guys ready to have a good time? Okay, so we've been in a series that we've called Mind Games, okay? Mind Games. And this series of talks has really used Romans 12. Uh, The first two verses of Romans 12 is our GPS system as we've been talking about and wrestling through the potential of a transformed mind. And it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And week one, we talked about the reality that we have a pattern problem, that our problem is our pattern, that we have areas of our lives that have conformed to the patterns of this world, greed, lust, pride, and patience, and those patterns are leading us to what we kind of talked about as being false peaks, right? And those false peaks are areas in our lives that we see as a destination, but when we get there, we realize that we actually haven't gone anywhere, right? And so these patterns kind of keep us circling in areas of our lives that we feel trapped in. And so we, we began to wrestle through this idea that our consumption is, is actually connected to our pattern. What we consume is going to shape what we view. And so we said we need to change our view, and what will happen? It will change you. Change your view, and it will change you. And so then we took another step in this fight uh, to, to have a renewed or transformed mind. And, and we came to realize that the word transformed actually also means revolution. And that to be transformed is, is the same thing as to have a revolution. And there is no transformation and there is no revolution without what? A fight. It's going to be a fight. To be transformed by having a renewed mind is not just going to happen. We're going to have to realize that we're in a fight. And we, we looked at the life of David and began to realize that our offense is our best defense. When you stop fighting, you start losing. And we revealed that our offensive stands in our mind is our mindset. Colossians says that set your mind on things above. We defined our mindset as being a set of assumptions, methods, or notations held by a person that is so established that it creates a powerful incentive within them to continue to adopt or accept behaviors, choices, or tools. 
And so just like we said that, or excuse me, so we said that our mindset will change what we do. Our mindset will change what we do. So if you change your view, it will change you. If you change your mindset, it will change what you do. And then the supermodel, my beautiful wife, last week did an amazing job. You guys thankful for Liz? Man, not only did she say good stuff, she looked dang good doing it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody uncomfortable with that comment? Well, you need to know I think my wife is hot, okay? I like to kiss her. Let that sit a little bit. Just let it marinate it in you a little bit. Some of you are squirming. She gave us an incredible word about perspective. And she said that your perspective will determine your process. Your perspective will determine your process. How we see what we see is everything. And this week, I kind of want to tie up this series of talks by talking about the mind game of now. Everybody say now. Now. Say it with a little bit more fervor. Now. The mind game of now. Have you ever wanted something like now? Just me? Me and Jay? I saw I saw her look at you, bro. That's amazing. Have you ever wanted something like right now and it becomes like a obsession because you have to have it like now? Okay, now I grew up in a house of all boys. Okay, we lived a simple life. Okay, it wasn't complicated. What I mean by that is that when we said words, we said what they meant. So, like, when my dad would say things like, okay, it's time to leave now, that meant we're leaving now. It was simple, okay? It wasn't complicated. It was, it was like one step. It's time to leave. Put your shoes on. We're gone. Okay, now meant now. When we said we were doing something now, we went and actually did it now. And then I got married. Okay, but very quickly realized now does not always mean now. Okay, it doesn't mean now has multiple meanings. I didn't know this. I had no idea that now had multiple meanings because now is complicated. Now is actually not simple. Now is confusing. Because this is how it would play out. Liz and I were newly married, you know, in that honeymoon phase where everything's going great. You're just like kissing each other all the time. And we'd be getting ready to go. And I'd be like, baby, you ready? She'd be like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go to the car. And she would say, I'm coming right now. So I thought she was coming. Because she said she was coming right now. So I would go to the car. One minute, two minute, three minute, five minute, ten minute. I'm like, something happened. She cut her finger off. What happened? I'd rush back into the house, you know, like in a panic. What, hey, is everything okay? And she's looking at me like, why are you so wound up? I'm like, what, is something wrong? And she's like, no, I'm coming right now. So I thought she was coming. I'm like, this is cool. We're just figuring this thing out. So I go back to the car. 
I sit in the car. I buckle my seatbelt. I'm ready to leave because she said she's coming now. One minute, two minute, three. Now I'm mad and equally as confused. I'm like, I don't understand why this is so hard. Like she said she was coming now and she's not coming now. And I would go back into the house and I'd be like, yo. Why are you not coming? And she's like, I'm coming right now. The why is now so tough? I mean, I had no idea when I had children that almost every discipline situation we were going to have was going to revolve around now. I didn't know this. I didn't know that finding shoes was a miracle. And we're in here talking about God changing the city. The prayer in my house is, Lord, can we find Tate's other sandal? I haven't seen it in months. I mean, I would be like, dude, we're, we're, let's go. And then they'd be like, okay, cool. And so I would go do something else. I would come back to get them. No shoes on, no nothing. They're still chilling, not even dressed. Don't judge me, okay? Our kids struggle to wear clothing. All right, and so I'm like, why aren't you ready? And they'd be like, oh, Dad, did you, did you mean we were, like, leaving now? I'm like, no. No, I, I wanted to go and come back, and then you put your shoes on. That's what I want to do, right? No, I mean, why is now so hard? Now is so hard, and the reason I think now is so hard is because now feels mundane and boring. And then, what's coming next, now that's exciting. What's coming next, that is cool. That's what I'm made for. That's what I want to be about. But now, now is not cool. Now does not have the same spice that then has. Now is hard, right? And if we're honest, now can sometimes be so complicated that we don't even want to deal with it, so we just get intoxicated with then. And we see then as a solution to our now. And, and I actually believe that God wants us to begin to take ground in this idea of fighting the fight of now. Because the truth is, is that because then and what's coming next is so intoxicating, that's what seems fun and cool, and it's easy to dream into what's coming next and feel like that that's when we're going to come alive. Because that is a reality, the truth is, is the fight is revealed in the mind game of now in one word, content. Content. Are we content now? Because now does, or excuse me, content does not mean not having ambition. Content doesn't mean that we're not convinced that God is going to be faithful to bring us to then. Content literally means to be peacefully happy. So to be content is not to throw the dreams of God out, of, of, out the window for your life. To be content is not to just surrender to your now as you're always. No, to be content is to be peacefully happy with where you are now convinced that God is going to be faithful to take you to your then. 
And, and I want to use a, a passage of Scripture, actually a series of chapters of Scripture this morning. You guys ready to plow through a lot of the book of Genesis? Can you handle it? We're going to look at this dude named Joseph. Because Joseph came face to face with the reality of, I think, is the principle of owning our now, being content, peacefully happy with where we are, convinced that God is going to take us where he wants us to be then. And that is this, our now is connected to our then. If that's all you remember this morning, I want you to write it down. Your now is connected to your then. Now and then are not separated. Now and then are connected. Your now is the beginning of your then. If you think that now is not connected to your then, you're always going to miss your then. And Joseph grabs something and understanding that his now is connected to his then. That I believe that if we grab that same principle of understanding that we can be peacefully happy, not satisfied, but peacefully happy, not dreaming with God, but peacefully happy, convinced that God's going to do what only he can do. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Now, for those of you guys who did not grow up in church and you have no idea who this homie is, let me just give you a little introduction into his life. He enters the scene in Genesis 37 with a clear description of who he was at age 17. Check this out. This is how we get introduced to this character. Genesis 37 verse 2, it says that Joseph is a young man of 17 and he was tending the flocks with his brothers. And this is what it says. And he brought their father a bad report about them. This is his introduction. This is how we get to know him. This is where we like, this is the kind of dude he was. Now, I actually relate to this because this sounds like my house, okay? I don't know what your relationship was with your siblings, but the rest of with my siblings was, how can I get you the most spankings possible? That was like my chief ambition for my two youngest brothers. How can I frame you, lie about you, discredit you so that your butt is swollen and I'm chilling? All right. That was like my ambition. And so when I read this, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a house with a bunch of dudes. But this also reveals an aspect of his character at the time of the beginning of this journey. And so this is what it says, that he brought a bad report about them. Now, not only was he a weasel and an arrogant punk, but this attitude was fueled because he was his daddy's favorite, all right? And his dad favored him among all the other brothers because he was the baby to the extent that he dressed him in Gucci and everybody else had to wear JCPenney's. So he stood out. He's like wearing flashy clothes. He probably has like platinum white slippers on. You know what I mean? He's that dude. And he's wearing gold chains, and he's making it happen. He's walking around like he owns the place. So not only was he a weasel and an arrogant punk, that was fueled by the treatment, the favoritism that he got from his father. And then in the middle of this family chaos, right in the middle of all of this happening, Joseph has two dreams. And these two dreams, God opens up for him and gives him a window into his future and a picture of what is to come. Check out what God shows him through these dreams. We're going to start in verse 5. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. 
While we were binding sheaves and we were out in the field and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood while your sheaves gathered around mine and began to bow down to it. All right, so immediately I'm like, this dude's a weirdo. Talking about sheaves and sheaves. And then his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, can you imagine this little arrogant punk that was ratting out his brothers, then looking at his brothers wearing his little Gucci jacket and being like, I saw I had a dream. He is not MLK. Okay, this is not the same level of, of Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Okay, this dude said, I had a dream. And this is what happened because of his arrogance, because of, of even this window into what was, we come to find out to be a prophetic truth. His arrogance led his brothers to hate him. We're going to look at verse 10 because I think it's amazing because he says he told his father as well as his brothers and his father rebuked him. The one that loved him more than anybody else, he rebuked him. And he said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down? That's because they want me to dance. That's what they do when they want me to dance. That's what happens. You know, I don't know what's going on. It's beautiful right now. This is it. Give me some music, man. If we're going to do it, let's do it. You fix it? Okay, cool. You missed it. Y'all missed your opportunity, all right? Come next week. Oh, man. Okay, we got to move on. We got to move on. Just turn them off. I don't know what's going on. Just unplug everything. Wow. Well, actually, don't do that. No, I can't see. It's awesome. Okay. Church planting, people. Cafetorium life, okay? We're just going to press on towards the goal. Amazing. <laughs> How in the world am I going to do this, man? Like, what? I am not this talented. Okay. Whew. All right, here we go. Can we, we ready? Okay, here we go. So what happens next in the story, after, after Joseph has these two dreams, what happens next makes absolutely no sense to our now-obsessed minds. It makes no sense to our now-obsessed minds. Because that's the fight, is to begin to understand that our now sets us up for our then, always, not some of the time, all of the time. And so this is what begins to happen, is if, if you see this, I'm so lost, guys, I'm so sorry. I love the disco lights, but they threw me. Everybody take a deep breath. Here we go. Joseph's brother wanted to kill him, all right, we're just going to start there. Joseph's brother wanted to kill him. All right, now you have to be a certain level of tool to generate the level of frustration that the only thing that's going to satisfy your frustration and hatred is murdering somebody. I mean, that is a new level. That is a, that I, that is a unforeseen level of arrogance and punkhood 
that all of a sudden your brothers see you coming as you're going to check on them, probably because they're thinking this dude's going to weasel on us again for chilling and doing nothing. They see him coming and they say, you know what, let's kill them. Let's kill him. Now, thankfully, his brother Reuben stood up and didn't have the stomach to kill him. And so Reuben was like, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this empty well right here. And now Reuben's whole plan was that when the brothers left, he was going to pull him out of the well and rescue him from being killed by his brothers. But that's not what happened because Reuben went and took a lunch break to eat a Reuben. And then he came back. And when he came back. He wasn't there anymore because these Mennonite gypsies came by and the brothers were like, well, look, dude, let's just sell them to these guys. Let's make money on this guy. Let's not just kill him. Let's actually profit from this. So they sold him to these Midianite dudes who were just passing through and they were on their way to Egypt. And then they sold them to this dude named Potiphar and Potiphar happened to be like Pharaoh's number one dude. He was like an official, this head honcho. And so all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being this like slave that was wronged by his brothers to literally serving this major honcho in Egypt. Now, what's amazing is what we begin to see happen Next, because we would see these 13 years of a roller coaster of promotion and oppression, opportunities and disappointments at worst would be like punishment. At best, they're just a waste. But what we begin to see is a transformation as Joseph begins to own his now, as he begins to find content, peacefully happy with where he is, trusting that God is going to take him where only he can go. And we see in verse 20, it says, but while Joseph was there in prison. The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that they had done. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, this is interesting, right? This is interesting because before that happened, check out what happened. Before that moment of being in prison, he wasn't actually in prison. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. And just like it said that God showed favor in everything that he did when he was in prison, God had shown him favor when he was a slave. And so he actually rises from being a slave to running Potiphar's house. To running the affairs of the most influential guy in the town of the day. He's running everything. And then Potiphar's wife wants to get a little pat-pat from Joseph. All right? And so she goes to him. She's like, look, baby, won't you come sleep with me? Now, Joseph is realizing because he's no longer an arrogant punk. He's experienced what life can only do to you, right? Life will bring you humility. You live long enough, you will be humble. Right. And and so he had gone through enough in his life that he's no longer the arrogant punk that's in it for himself to lord over those who are around him, who he was and even the influence that God had gifted him to have. He was no longer that man. So he sees Potiphar's wife coming on to him as a 17 year old free man. He probably would have jumped at that opportunity because he lived his life as somebody who thought that everything was his. That's why he treated his brothers the way that he did. That's why he flaunted the dreams that he had the way that he did. It's because he had an entitled mindset. He thought, I'm the man, and I'm going to live like the man. And that separated him from his family and ultimately cost him 
his freedom. And because of that experience, when Potiphar's wife came on to him, because he was a man of honor, he said, no, Potiphar has honored me, so I'm going to honor him. And he ran away. And as he ran away, she grabbed his jacket, she ripped it off of him, and now she's frustrated. And so she goes to Potiphar and she's like, look at this jacket. This slave that you put over our house tried to molest me. But I ran from him and I screamed, but I grabbed his coat on the way out. And Potiphar's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, he didn't. Didn't ask any questions and then threw him in prison. And that's where we get this passage that now he's in prison. And just like he was favored and succeeded in everything that he did as a slave, now he's in prison. He's not at the bottom of a well. He's at the bottom of a dungeon. But he is faithful to do everything that's in front of him. And he found some sort of contentment, some sort of peaceful happiness that the warden of the prison begins to trust him in such a way that he puts him in charge of the entire prison to the extent that it says that he didn't worry about anything that was under Joseph's care. Now, his attitude reveals, or excuse me, his behavior reveals something to us about his attitude. There's a sentence that continues to emerge in every one of these scenarios where Joseph either did something stupid and it cost him, or he was wronged and it cost him. There's always the same sentence. It says that God showed favor in everything that he did. Everything he did. Everything he did. He was working in his now. He was not seeing the reality of the prison as an unneeded season to connect to his then. He was peacefully happy in his now and that contentment, that spirit of being satisfied with where he was, but clear about where he was going, allowed him to experience favor in his now that positioned him for his then. Our now is always connected to our then. Romans 8, 28 says something beautiful. It says that now we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God works all things for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I want you to see this. Joseph, as we continue this story, is going to emerge after an opportunity to interpret a dream for Pharaoh to running Egypt, to to being in charge of the nation. Now, do you see? That his slavery was turned into his blessing. It was because he was a slave in Potiphar's house that he was in a position to interpret Pharaoh's dream that led to the fulfillment of his dream. It was what felt like his slavery those 13 years from 17 to age 30 that turned into his blessing. It was his desert that turned into his promise. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I believe that Jesus wants some of us to know that our now is the beginning of our then. 
our now is the beginning of our then. And what feels like a place of hopeless desperation that has no chance of turning into any semblance of what you thought you wanted your life to look like, your slavery, your hopelessness, your, your, your aloneness, your isolation might be the beginning of your blessing. You might feel stuck in the prison of disappointment. You might feel held hostage by fear, outgunned by circumstances that are out of your control, stuck in habits that are ruining your relationship, hopeless in your finances. You might feel like you're in a dead-end marriage. You might feel like you're in a dead-end job. Your kids might be acting like they were raised by fools. Whatever is going on. What feels like your slavery is not disconnected to your blessing. Because God turns all things for good. All things. Not some things. Not just the pretty things. All things. See, what's interesting is that your now does not determine who you're going to be when you're then. Your now actually prepares you for who you need to be then. You see, Joseph experienced not just a transformation in his circumstances. Joseph experienced a transformation in his life. Because this story ends in Genesis 50. And there's a moment where Joseph is looking at his brothers. And they are terrified that he is going to show them the revenge that they actually deserve. And they're scared to death. And they're like, there's no reason why he's going to keep us alive. It says in verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they've committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. This once arrogant, prideful, loitering over, punk kid wept. And this is what happens. He says his brothers came to him and threw themselves down before him. And they said, we are now your slaves. But Joseph said to him, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. Or excuse me, am I in the place of God? You intend to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to him. You see, Joseph experienced a transformation because he understood that his now was connected to his then. And his slavery became his blessing. And he was able to treat his brothers not as they had treated him, but how he probably wished that they had treated him because he had been transformed because his view was not to conform to the patterns of this world, patterns of revenge, patterns of greed. No, he changed his view and it changed who he was. 
And then he set his mind on things above because his mindset's going to change what he does. And because his mindset was on the things of God in the middle of the dungeons, in the middle of the bottom of a well, it changed what he did. His perspective changed the process of his ability to be able to forgive his brothers in ways that they did not forgive him. And so because he was winning the war in his mind, he'd been transformed by the renewing of his mind, not conforming to the patterns of this world. He was able to demonstrate grace where he had not received grace. He showed him grace. Your now is connected to your then. It's not separate. Your now is the beginning of your then. No matter how dirty your now is, no matter how sloppy your now is, no matter how unsuccessful your now is, it is always connected to your then. And when we learn to be peacefully happy with where God's put us now, we'll be able to become all God's created us to be when we reach our then. Amen.